What's up, everybody? Welcome to Scorch the Fears with Tristan Trenberth, an amazing dude, an amazing friend, an OG of Sub2, a great guy, absolutely crushing it in real estate. I'm excited to have him on. Man, it's good to see you, bro. Good to see you, dude. Thanks so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. 100%. So I'll just get into it and ask like the Steve Train question. Like, uh, um, How'd you get into real estate? Rich dad, poor dad. Same as 80% of us, right? Right. So, yeah, I, I had it on the shelf for a couple of years and then finally read it and life's never been the same again. When did you read it? Like how long ago was this? Uh, 2018 or 2019, I think it was. Probably 2019. Okay. So was real estate your first entrepreneurial journey? Um, no, my first one was... Um, Let's think back. Um, it wasn't marijuana. It wasn't cocaine. No, it was uh, it was saxophone wall mounts that I imported from Europe. So I used to play the saxophone a long time ago. And that was when I was a teenager. I, I quit because I wasn't learning music that was for the saxophone. I was learning like Eleanor Rigby and all that kind of stuff, which is great music, but it wasn't. It was the melody of the song, not something that was a saxophone track. So. Obviously, I wanted to be playing Careless Whisper and uh, In Excess and all the other sexy stuff that was going around, but there wasn't that, that I couldn't find a teacher. There wasn't a teacher that I was linked up with back in the teens that was teaching that stuff. So, and that was how did that end up being entrepreneurship? So, I stopped playing then. Then, when I got divorced in 2010, I bought another saxophone and I was looking for a teacher. And the best question I was asked was, So, what kind of music do you want to learn? And that was music to my ears because I was always told what I was going to learn when I was in my teens. Then I was being, well, I like blues. I like a bit of jazz. I like rock, all of this stuff. So it really opened up the world. In playing, I met a couple of people who met a couple of people. And then I found these things that would screw into the wall. There was a wall mount that you could hang the saxophone on instead of putting it on the floor. So if you've got dogs, cats, kids, having it safely on the wall was, was something that was great. So when I moved to the States... I was the United States distributor for this company, which sounds really grand, but I only probably sold about two or three dozen of these things. It's pretty cool though. So yeah. like, what, so what, um, what it, so it was like a distribute distributor for another company. So it wasn't like your right. product, but like it was your right. business distributing yeah. it. What so, the brand, you... so the brand at that time was Sax Fiend. Okay. I like it. It didn't work very well. I don't think. I love it. Um, so what attracted you to doing that? Like, why didn't you, why didn't you go for like the nine to five safe route? What for you? I, I was working a nine to five at the same time. So this was like okay. a side hustle. I was just trying to make, you know, see if I could do something different and, and net, use my networking skills, which I've obviously, I don't know, developed over the years in, you know, my dad was a great networker, but so that went from that into networking in the music industry, picking up a camera in 2012 and putting together my passions of music and photography. So we got John Petrucci, we got Slash just around the corner, both signed images that I've shot. And that really got me into photography, which was the next side hustle when I let the, the wall mount things go. And again, a side hustle, but a passion of mine. Um, but I just knew it wasn't going to be a, a money spinner. It wasn't going to be a replacement to my, my income. And that's where I've been spinning my wheels for eight years, knowing that I didn't want to be in the IT trade anymore, that I've been in systems engineering, information security, architecture. It just was a boring thing for me. And I didn't want to be doing it, but I didn't know what was going to be the next career move that was going to be a lucrative business to be in until I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. So basically it was staying as a W2. You kind of had like some side hustles, yeah, um, which were just to bring in extra money, but then they weren't really hitting they, it obviously wasn't hitting like the motivation part it wasn't giving you the why you would need in order to um really start getting it so specifically what about rich dad poor dad really like hit you hard? just the just the definition of an asset and a liability okay that was just, it was really down to that basic level and the fact that you're not exchanging time for money anymore you whatever you however you perform what is, what is the difference between an asset and a liability? Um, so the, the common definition is that you are your house is the greatest asset you'll ever own, is what the common 
common conception of an asset is. Uh, but in, in the rich dad, poor dad, and really what which I really truly believe is the definition is, is something that you, that will make you money. You, it may cost you money, but it's, it's bringing you more money in, in return as a return than it is costing you in, in the, in the debt service or, or the cost to own that asset. It's actually paying you to own it instead of being a, a, a detriment. It's a, sub additive instead of subtractive to your net worth. Right. Gotcha. So you read the book, you're finding, you're finding out about like the difference between assets and liabilities and then specifically like what hits, like, because it's understanding the knowledge is one thing. I know there's, there's like hundreds of people who read that book, but then don't go into real estate. Right. Yeah. What made, what do you think made the difference where you're like, no, I'm doing this. Uh, in 2017, I had completed a, what in real terms as a live in flip, I was doing some renovations on my house. I started making a big mess, doing a bunch of demo, um, probably about two years before and never finished it. Um, my mum passed away in 2017, left me a little gift. So I put that into the property and did the bathroom, the kitchen, you know, the, the back room, all of that stuff. So I, I lived in it and, and I, basically had contractors come and do the work to, to finish it. So that with the book really led me to understand more about the value of property. And it wasn't that I heavily researched it, but having typed in rich dad, poor dad to Google, everyone like Facebook, Instagram, the world knew that I had typed in rich dad, poor dad. So it brought up legacy education, or, you know, rich dad education, which was branded rich dad education at the time. They lost the license at some point. Um, so I ended up, um, you know, paying a substantial amount of money through the uh, the fun that they have of a, a free two-hour event leading into an $800 two-day event leading into a much more expensive, uh, <laughs> lovely experience. And, and I just didn't take action. I thought putting that much money in, I've got skin in game. How can I not take action? And I didn't. Why do you think that? Um, it just wasn't inspiring. I mean, it was it was inspiring in, in many ways. It was exciting to learn the knowledge, but I wasn't inspired to take the action. And, and I don't blame them, but my my relationship to that as far as I was in a comfort zone in a W-2, mm. uh, the way that I perceived them to be teaching it was it was easy. You didn't need to do a lot. You just needed to set it up and it would kind of run. And I didn't get that set up done. I didn't get going. And uh but I did do another, you know, another sort of mastermind weekend later that year, which in hindsight was probably too early for what I could have gained from it. But I gained enough from that to do my first campaign, which is a tax lien campaign. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was uh, took eight months to close it. It closed right between Christmas and New Year and it was one of the best deals that you could ever come across. The, the dealing involved probate, title issues, tax liens, hmm. credit card judgments, uh, and squatters to finish it off. What do you think so, made the difference? Because you finally took action. Was there something, anything specific in that second event? Or was it like you just finally got off your lazy butt? Like, what, what do you think a made bit, it? A bit of each. Um, but yeah. I really, doing that second sort of mastermind, or not really even a mastermind, but a two -day, the two-day blueprint, Jason Palliser, you may have heard of the guy really great dude really great content so packed with stuff that's why i didn't get as much of it as i would maybe going now 40 different you know uh you know marketing channels but it was community it was it was working with somebody that i'd met previous to elite legacy that actually did some work with them so i had a prior relationship with him before that just knowing him so we squatted up and he had, he helped me get things going i set everything else up for the campaign. I went to the county, bought the CD of the tax records. I paid someone in Morocco to go through and scrape it for all of the records that were three years old that had already been paid. I didn't want to be marketing 18,000 postcards. I wanted to be doing the postcards that were left. But it was, again, stacking. I eliminated all of the ones that had paid the liens off, so I just had the 2,500 that remained. I marked it to them. I probably had 10 or 15 results. Uh, ten of uh, no, it was about it was about ten percent. So it was a higher return than we normally get from mailers. That's pretty high. Uh, 
Isn't that yeah. really high? I thought it was like two percent for Mandalorians or something like that. Well, yeah, this was this was back then, but this was in the year that they could have been foreclosed. Arizona's got a three-year redemption period, so this was past the three-year points, and now they could have an auction at any time for the house and get kicked out. All vacant land, whatever it was. But anyway, we found this lovely lady. She had eighty thousand dollars worth of credit card judgment. She didn't know that at the time. This was a second piece of land. There was no property on it apart from a mobile home that the squatters had brought in. There was the the deed wasn't in her name. Um, there was the title issues, the probate we needed to do, an affidavit of airship, and deal with the squatters. So we just went through the whole thing and, and took care of it. I negotiated eighty thousand dollars worth of credit card debt down to a little less than twenty. Nice. Awesome. So wait, you said you squatted up with somebody who'd done it before? Yeah. yeah. What, what made you choose that guy? Um, just connection, relationships, and, you know, building building relationships and trust. I was, I, I've yet to see somebody that's really slimy in the business, and I kind of expected to see a lot of car salesman types in the business. But being in, whether it's being in Arizona, whether it's my energy that attracts good people, um, or whether it's just... There aren't as many as I'm. I was worried there might be. I've just come across good people, and I've got that. a pretty good judgment of character. And we, we just got along, and and he had some expertise, and and actually he actually knows Marlon Johnson as well through Elite Legacy. I love it. And Marlon's done Elite Legacy, and a few others in the mentorship have as well. Um, but yeah, it's just community, and that's the power of squadding up before Ace kind of introduced it to us in a different different context. That's kind of why I wanted to talk to you for a second. I mean, probably nearly all of my audience like knows about Pace and probably knows to squat up in Wholesale Hotline and stuff like that. But I think it could be really useful to people to kind of be like, okay, but who should I squat up with and yeah. why, right? So because so, I don't think – I've never heard Pace or Jamil really go into that. They just say squat up, but, I'm, but I feel like no. I'm curious what you think of that. Like why, wh why should someone squat up and – how do you determine who to squat up with? So there's the expression that you can go where you can go where somewhere on your own fast, but you can go a long way together. So you know IBM and his organization isn't one guy that's building computers, writing code, servicing the computers, distributing and all those things. Think of it as a corporation. Your business may be one person, but you can still outsource and delegate things to other people, or you can pair up and and share the workload. Um, lots of us have written the, uh, read the book called Rocket Fuel, which outlines the two personality types. There, there's two examples I like to give. There's Walt Disney. Everyone knows Walt Disney, but not many people know Roy Disney. Roy's the, the quieter brother that was in the background. He was the integrator and the financier, the person that kind of kept the business running in the functional sense. Walt was the guy that came up with the ideas that, you know, made them bankrupt a couple of times, but... <laughs> really, you know, took took them into the great success they had. You got Apple computers back in the day where you had Steve Jobs, the visionary, Steve Wozniak. You got Ray Kroc with McDonald's, and I can't remember the integrator, but nobody really remembers the integrators, unfortunately. It seems, yeah. but, you know, they're equally as important, but it doesn't need to be that breakup. Somebody may like talking to sellers or talking to people has a skill from a previous thing. I always talk to people when I meet new sub two students or anybody. So what, what are your skills from your previous jobs? Oh, I don't know. So what is your previous job? What do you like? What, what lights you up about your job? What do you not like doing? What do you do outside of work that you really enjoy? What do you not enjoy doing outside? Work? There are some mm -hmm. things that you used to do you don't like anymore. Just try and pull out of them those traits. And then I'm looking for the jigsaw pieces because there's a jigsaw puzzle in front of them. And they are the jigsaw puzzle. We're just trying to find the jigsaw pieces that fit their puzzle or find a piece of their jigsaw that fits somebody else's puzzle. So we're just trying to match things up to make a nice picture. Now, jigsaw puzzles are done. Then you take them apart and you put it in a box and start again on another one. By that time, that might be a different relationship, or you might be expanding that jigsaw with other people, and you're scaling out at that point. But as far as initially squatting up, find somebody that has a skill that you don't have that you can leverage to balance out a skill that you do have. You've got to bring value of some sort. Brent Daniels, I think, said time, treasury, and talent. You either got lots of time, lots of talent, or treasury, which is money. Now, if you've got money to spend but you haven't got time or talent, you can outsource and pay somebody else to take on 
that marketing and the follow-up. So you can just really fund, you can bankroll something. If you've got talent, um, you can train somebody to outsource, which leverages your time and somebody else's time more efficiently. Right. And somebody else, maybe that money partner that comes in and, and provides that for you. Um, so it's just looking at those three key areas and, and looking, what, what is it that you bring to the table? Or maybe partner with somebody in a shadow role where you want to expand a skill that you already have and you shadow somebody that already has that skill, maybe that's sales. You love talking to people, but you just can't quite understand how to speak to a seller in the way that pulls out the best of them, build a rapport, build the trust, understand what's kind of said, what order it is. I mean, Steve Trang's you know, one of the masters in that. Pace is one of the masters of that. And really, there's just so many aspects of the business that it's, it's enjoyable to talk about and talk with people and really, and then it's great to highlight people's strengths as well. I myself, um, classic for ignoring or not acknowledging some of the skills I have because I take it, I take it for granted. That's just who I am and what I do. Right. I'm not particularly special at anything, but I'm, I'm skilled at some areas that other people aren't. They say, oh, well, you're really good at that. Well, I turn around to you and say, oh, Scorch, you're, you're fucking amazing at that. Do you know what I mean? Right. And you think, well... I just, I haven't done anything to develop that skill. But I've looked back recently. I came in back from the hotel trade originally, and I did hotel management. So I didn't realize that 20, 25 years ago, I was mirroring people. I didn't know that was what it was called. But hotel guests, they're pissed off with something in the room or some member of staff, and it's like, oh. So I would unconsciously adapt to the tone, the speed, the, the level of um, the level of passion in their voice, should we say, anger, right. whatever it was, and I would either either have to match or offset that by making the space for that person to call down, right. giving them the attempt, giving the ability to speak, reference active listening 2.0 by Steve Trang, how to listen well, be heard, and let the person know that you are hearing them, and allow them to get everything off their chest they need to. You still need to control the conversation, but let them think they're driving the conversation and let them think they're in control. It's really just allowing them to get their shit off their chest, let you know what their problem is, because there's two things. There's their anger and frustration, and then there's the problem. Once you get this out of the way, then you can deal with the problem. Same with sellers. They'll tell us the symptoms. The symptom of a pre-foreclosure is that that the house is in pre-foreclosure. The problem is that they either lost their job, they had somebody who was sick and had to prioritize paying medical care over paying the house bills. There are symptoms and there's problems. This for us to diagnose the problem, you know, imagine I'm the doctor seller. You know, you don't go to the doctor and say, oh, tell me what's wrong. He's going to ask you some questions that some of these might be a little bit personal. Is it okay to proceed with this? You get their permission, they're buying. You know, I know you're angry with the waitress. Let me know what, what it is that the problem is. Let them speak, and I, I really appreciate that frustrates you without being patronizing. So it sounds like this could be a problem. Let them correct you if it isn't. Label those things. And it's not that I was necessarily labeling things back then, but now I'm seeing alignment between what I was trying to accomplish and what I can do more skillfully now with Chris Voss and Steve and, and Pace and all the people that I've been watching and listening to and, and trying to emulate and, and, you know, meld their skills with my personality so that I've got an authentic, so that I am authentic, not to produce an authentic that isn't authentic. That's, that's an oxymoron. I am authentic, but I've got to build those things in to my, my personality so that it becomes me, I become that personality, and it just comes across in a way that's trusting and trusted, and also not to be interesting, but to be interested, which is listening to their problem. And if you've got a solution, great. You can maybe suggest those solutions, but right. if you don't have a problem, seller, I'm, you know, I thought I might be able to help you, but I'm not your buyer. But this guy, Jonah, you can do something I can't. I'd much rather solve your problem by passing you to one of my friends or one of my colleagues. I'm not even going to make money from the transaction. My priority is taking your care of your needs first. Let me pass you on to my colleague. 
He's going to so take care of you. This is my question because I think what you're touching on right here is the difference between a really great set closer and like an okay one is basically where like it's not even where you when you start doing that cons consultative approach where it's like not even about you. It's like you're actually treating them like as though it was like your sister or something. Like it's like, okay, I'm going to actually find out what the situation is and then find out the best way to help them. Do you think it's anything more than that that makes like a great closer or somebody who should be a closer? Um, I mean, I went through the Sander program and to be honest, I didn't attend many of the classes. And, and I'll give you the little backstory Wait, on sorry, that. Sorry, the what? What program? Sandler sales training. I haven't done, I haven't heard of that one. So, so pasted Sandler sales training. Steve Trang actively goes to it still. Max Jimenez, those guys. It's you know the the kid. You can't teach a kid to ride a bicycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David Sander. That's that's his sales oh, program. Okay, explain it to the audience though. I I remember this from the. So there's a submarine, and I don't remember all of the compartments, but it's really it's a process of stages of selling, and you may have to come back to reinforce some of these things. But you imagine a submarine. They've got compartments in there. And they've all got locking doors between the compartments so that if there was a breach in the boat, then you can lock the door, obviously, before before the breach happens. But it stops the water flowing into the next compartment, which will kill right. people. So the first thing is upfront contracts. Jonah, I'm the, these appointments normally last an hour and a half. You know, I, I know we mentioned this on the phone. I'm coming around. You know, we agreed that if we come to a number that if you can say yes, then, you know, you're happy to sign the contract. But obviously, if it's no, I totally understand. But we're not going to have a maybe. I'm okay with a yes. Or I'm okay with a no. But I don't like maybe. So if you're not ready to make the yes or no decision today and you don't have an hour and a half, um, you know, I, I can't be here. Are we okay to proceed? Upfront contract. Sets the thing. We've that already got about to go to their house, right? That's when you're right. This could be on the phone before you set the appointment, but you reiterate when you get there. Jonah, thanks for agreeing to meet. I know that we talked about this on the phone. Just reiterating, do you still have an hour and a half? Do you still have all the decision makers here? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Upfront contract, you, you keep those fresh in their mind because you can hold them to them. I don't mind if you can't. I, I'd rather just leave now. Your, your husband's not here. I understand you could, you know, you tell me you can tell your husband what I'm saying, but it really doesn't make sense to me because there's always something that comes up. He may have a question from what I say or what you ask. This right. isn't the right time. I'm going to come back. And it's a pull away as well because it means they know you're not desperate for the sale. You're not there to try and coerce them into something that often has them come after you. Well, why don't we give him a call, see if he can get home in 10 minutes or wait 10 minutes, but. I'm not saying that's a really a great technique to wait 10 minutes. So I mean, you just go. But if they're two minutes away, you know, obviously making a little accommodation, but it's a compartment. It's the first one, the upfront contract, but it goes through building rapport next. And then you've got different stages till the close. But ideally you're going to have them close you. So Jonah, I know you told me that you don't have any equity. You'd have to pay a realty. You need money to move and you need 60 days in the house. So I've shared with you that we can, we don't need to, you don't need to pay fees. So there's no problem with having no equity. We can still put some money in your pocket. Um, we can give you 60 days in the house and whatever else it was you wanted. Does that solve all your problems? Oh, it yeah. does. So, so what, what's the next step for you, Jonah? Right. Well, what I do you mean? That. Well, if, if we've done everything you wanted to, you told me these are the important things that you need to make a decision. What's the next step? And you just push, you just guide them along to the decision point. Okay, you remember we said there wasn't going to be a maybe, it'd be a yes or no. Did these all things do everything that you wanted us to do? Right. Yes, okay. So seeing we decide it wasn't going to be a, a maybe, either it works for you or it doesn't. Does it work for you? Okay, great. So so what's the next step? Oh, do we do we sign an agreement or something? Okay, great. Then you pull it out. You have them close you on signing it, not saying, oh, we did these things. Can you sign here? That's pushy. But if they ask you to close, then then you've done your job in 
letting them close you. So I got a question for you because you said you did systems engineering before real estate. Yes. Is that, was that right? Yeah. So systems engineering, when I hear that, that sounds like natural integrator. And to me, but I know you're also a closer. I mean, I just heard it like you could easily close somebody. So A, what what do you think you are if you're an integrator or visionary? And B, um, if you are more integrator, but then you're able to close, how do you feel about integrators learning how to close or visionaries learning systems? Like how often should they crisscross? So like those two questions, like what are you an integrator or visionary? And then if you're crisscrossing, which it sounds like you might be. I don't swing both ways, Jonah. <laughs> but like you I, get my question though. I, I'm a visionary. I've always been very creative, but I thought that there was more creativity in, in IT. I, IT was a passion of mine. I was really interested in the technology. I wasn't necessarily a an integrator. There was no creativity in IT. You were siloed into the job that you did. When I got into it, there were so many places that you go. You know, you had storage, you had networking, you had systems, you had all of these different areas, which were really exciting to me. But then when I was in it for so long, you got politics, you got very, very rigid procedures, which is good for the business. But I, I mean, I'm not a cowboy or anything. I wasn't trying to do things that weren't within the realms of what the rules were. But it was just so constrictive for me. So... Cut long story short, just after you know Rocket Fuel was spoken about by Pace a couple of years ago, I did the test and it was because I was still working my day job, I think it was like 86% to 79% in favor of visionary, 79% integrator. But I was doing that job at the time. Hmm. Now I got laid off a year and a half ago, and I waited three or four months till I decided I was going to do the test again. I planned to do it again, but I just wanted to give myself some time to get away from the day job mentality and what I was doing, get away from the technology. And, and I understand systems and processes well, but it doesn't get me wet. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't turn me on to want to do that stuff. So I waited a few months and then I did it. And then it was up to like 89% and then it was 46% integrator interesting that's super interesting to me do you feel like you were answering those questions based on more like just what you were doing at the time than actually what you enjoyed basically i think so yeah okay interesting it, it was it was normal to me to be doing certain things and there were things in it that i may have enjoyed doing over other things in it or whatever it was but relationships were always my thing i was always i was trying to delegate stuff to other people even though i wasn't a manager I was going around getting people's buy-in to, oh, what do you think we should do with this? Okay, well, do you mind doing some of that for, for this project or whatever? And, and just really cheeky it was, but just trying to get delegation going. And, and I was just chin-wagging and, and having a great old time. I love it. Getting everyone else to do your work, the, the key trait of a CEO. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I love it. Um, okay, so that's cool. So what do you think of that in general, even if you weren't really doing it, like, what do you think what do you think of just like how often do you think somebody should pass off the integrator role and go into a partnership or just do it solo it's like an interesting question for me because i always think about it because i'm a solopreneur i don't have any partners um, i'm much more visionary but i i'm able to do integrator stuff enough to actually create a business right but it's always like intrigued me of like okay how would i how would i recognize the right business partner how would i even integrate them into what i'm already doing it's it almost feels like i'm asking how do you fall in love or how do you find someone to fall in love with it feels like almost the exact same question i, I think it is i've i've tried i worked with an integrator that somebody within sub to introduced me to wasn't wasn't part of sub two and you know he's he's in he heads up about 500 people really super nice guy we we worked together he attended some of the the huddles that i have at 10 o'clock in the morning my va and it was it was a great experience working with him but maybe i didn't give enough of the reins maybe i didn't give him the feeling of enough freedom to do things we just didn't accomplish really anything on the systems or process side hmm. while we were working together we tried uh doing PPC, 
for three months and burnt 22 grand on that. But it was a lesson. It was a learning lesson um, that that time in the business wasn't the time to do PPC. Maybe never it will be, but it probably will be at some point. I'm not ruling it out or, or saying that it should be. That was just a lesson in us working together. He didn't manage it. We hired somebody to manage it. And whatever it was, that was the experience. We didn't get a, a deal from it, unfortunately. But that was, you know, that was turned up in January. No, there was no upset, you know, on either party. I just said, look, we tried for six months. The business hasn't moved forward. You know, we need, you know, I need to try, you know, do something different. So, you know, it's, they always say hire slowly, fire quickly. I needed some consistent time to give the opportunity for myself to adapt and also to, for the other person to be integrating into the business to feel, you know, freedom to, to do what they needed to do or felt was needed. Didn't have a real estate background, but was interested in real estate. But sometimes I think that having a non-real estate integrator is probably a good idea too. Only a hypothesis from the fact that they're not excited by Batch bringing out a new product or PropStream bringing out a new product or some new flashy thing that's one of the you know one of the gurus is bringing out or talking about that they're, they're looking at business process. Does this is this additive to the business or subtractive to the business? Right. And look at it from a long term point of view, not bleeding edge, but maybe cutting edge where we're not jumping onto a new bandwagon and finding the wheels fell off 10 feet down the street, you know? So I think, you know, I'm, but back to your question. Do you have a partner right now? Sorry? Do you have a partner right now? Or are you? LJ's doing a little bit with me and he's done some great things. Um, and he's just moved down here three or four months ago and he's just finding his feet down here at the moment. So we're just, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can. I'm doing my flips right now separately. We're just managing the JV leads that we've had, but I'm starting to pivot into um, more specifics on on working with people. I I really have not worn the oxygen mask myself for the last year and a half, um, and I don't say this like I'm a, a you know a saint or anything, but I've sabotaged my own business by not looking after my own business and the process of the business and the consistency of my business as the foundation helping other people and then just trying more and more things in a scarcest mindset to try and do five or six different things and not doing focused on one thing at a time does that make sense yeah and i think go into that more though explain it more like i understood what you said but go more into like what happened so um just what you know with with joint venturing it's it's not really a scalable process it's harder in in my experience maybe with an integrator and a couple of other people involved, but certainly not as a solopreneur. You know, I'm, I'm the Arizona accountability group leader for Paces community. And, you know, I've got my own um, community of meetup groups nationally. Um, that's, that's another thing. We'll is, I'm going to plug stuff for you. So, but you know, I'm adding up these things, the so JVing community, leading the group, fix and flips. I, I've never seen myself as a wholesaler. I'm, not saying they're bad people. I just don't feel I'm one of them. And I've been straddling, doing a bit of wholesaling through JVing and not, and not gone 100% into it because I don't feel aligned with that. Um, and that's part of the problem that with consistent lead flow. So I've been JVing and working with new students, new people inside and outside of the mentorship. The qualification of the leads isn't, isn't often great, but I'm trying to coach them along. A year and a half ago when I got laid off, I was doing Zoom calls that everyone all of the time and I was never getting any follow-up done. I don't love follow-up at all. That's another thing. I, I really don't like follow-up, so I need somebody else. Like my lead manager to be doing some of that. Right. But I also need to scale that out as well if I'm going to keep doing that. I don't mind having a wholesale business. I just don't want to be running the wholesale business. Hmm. I'll get in there and close the leads. What excites me is structuring deals and solving problems that the standard wholesaler can't solve. I mean, it sounds cliche within the mentorship, but I really look, and look at, at some of the more sophisticated stuff, you know. And it's not to say I'm better or different for anybody else, but that just excites me learning other ways and other perspectives from other people. Um, and as far as JVing goes, I mean, one, one really funny thing was last night. Um, a year ago, I was working with Turi Cepeda in, in El Paso on a couple of leads that he had over there. 
And last night I was at a meetup in town by Raf, and um, there was two guys from El Paso there. And I said, oh, do you know this guy? And it was a seller's name in my phone. I said, do you know this guy? I won't give the name. Yeah, we know that guy. I said, Star Wars house. And I knew because they were doing creative finance that there was somebody that I was negotiating against. It didn't really seem to be a great use of my time and it wasn't for me, but they've got the model there that they could take that on. Um, had solar panel lease. I remember that and they were going to turn it into a star Wars themed Airbnb. And oh. those are the two guys. So I just ran into them last night randomly. So it's funny how community builds and grows. Um, but that took a lot of time and I'm willing to put the time in every time for people. But I also need to put the time in for myself and my own business and follow up on, on uh, follow up, but just be my business person myself. It's kind of like putting your oxygen mask on first before helping other people, you right. know? And, uh, you know, when you give, you know, the, the go giver is the first rule is, you know, you give more in value than you receive in financial value. There's a lot of people who receive. Right. They forget the little second bit of, of what they're giving in financial. You got to give. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, no, I see what you mean. I 100% get it. You have to, it, I, love, I love that book. And something I was curious about is, so you were trying to do JV and direct-to-seller at the same time, it sounds like. Uh, I stopped direct-to-selling when I got laid off. So I okay. cut the cold calling, you know, I, I you know, scaled back on the, the VAs just to have one. Um, and then it was just purely JV at that point. So and then I... So why'd you get laid off and how was it the best thing that's ever happened to you? Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> so there were 25 people I think that got laid off that day. Um, and I was walking the dog and I looked at my phone and there was a meeting that came up with the vice president as vice president, somebody that was like senior director of the department. I don't normally have meetings with him and my direct manager wasn't involved in the meeting. So I thought, oh, shit, I wonder if, wonder if they'd laid off Sal, my, my friend. But then I had this, I'm very sensitive, and I just had an intuition that I wasn't going to be working there at the end of the day. So got onto the meeting, you know, this senior director was there. He's bigger than I am, so I won't see his name, but he's a really nice guy. Um, so he was on there. He said, oh, we just got to wait a couple of minutes somebody from HR is going to be on and that just confirmed it and the term the way they said it was your position's been affected by a company reorganization I said oh do you mean it's being eliminated <laughs> I'm, I'm I would have loved it. to hear that recording I feel like it would have been very oh I should ask for that but yeah it was like oh so you're is the position being eliminated yes is there a severance package yes okay and then I smiled for the rest of the hour I think it put them off a little bit why I was so happy. And <laughs> I just let them go through their spiel. Do you know what I mean? They've got to do their bit. That's so funny. So so, uh, so for people who aren't entrepreneurs, because I feel like only the real estate community ever laughs at that. I feel like everyone else, when they hear that, they're like, oh, my God, this guy's literally crazy. But like, A, why was it? Why were you smiling? And B, because it was my when I knew there was a severance package, I knew that I had my family taken care of whether it's for a month or six months or a year at that point, I didn't know, but I knew that there was a check coming and it wasn't just a shit now in survival energy even more. Now I've got to scramble to find another job. They, I officially finished the next week, but my last working moment was the end of that meeting. Um, but yeah, it was just joy because I didn't want to be doing it. I hadn't wanted to be doing it for quite some time. And the fact that I had been coming back to the story of the Sandler training, the year before, I'd signed up for Steve Trang's private money course with Dave Day. I don't know if you remember that one. Kind of do. That came out in like February or March I 2020. He spoke to in Pace's private money Zooms, didn't he? I think he did. He did, yeah. That's right. Dave came into that one. So that was February or March 2020. Then I signed up for Sander sales training because I realized that Pace and Steve Trang were doing. So Steve gave me the number for Brad, who was really great. So I signed up for that. And that was two meetings a week that could have been in person, but it was during COVID, of course. So it was virtual. Then two weeks later, what other call came in? Oh, you've been accepted into Pace's mentorship. 
So then it was seven Zooms a week, private money course, Sander sales training, day job. When did you join? When was this? It was May the 1st, 2020. The first day. Literally once it got started, basically. Yeah. You look at that first Zoom, there's me, Yui, Crystal, um, Eddie Charger, um, Will Iaza, Marlon, bunch of the OGs in there. I love it. I love it. So from that day on, with five or seven Zooms a week, it was like, shit, I can't do my day job and Dave Day's thing and the Sandra and Pace's thing. Pace's thing is the most happening thing that I align with most. That's the thing I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna straddle the straddle the the cliff between not working enough and not doing enough real estate. And it was a case of both. I I, I performed in my work, but I didn't perform enough in real estate and I didn't obviously get the traction until I got laid off. And, you know, I, I got two of those deals while I was working my day job, but still, you know, it was uh, it was the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end. I love it. I love it. I mean, I feel like that's like the best thing that always happens. I didn't have a job really when I, like I had like a very part-time job when I was starting, but once I got laid off, I'm like, man, this is way better. It's different for me because I'm single and young, but like, even so, like, I'm like, this is way better. Even if I need, like, I, I do need money, but like, it's just doing actually what I want to do. Yeah. Which is like yeah. way cooler. So, okay. I derailed you off the story a little bit. We were at, um, we, we told it, we got into it. And then you joined sub two, right? And then when you were in sub two, like, Let's just plug it for a quick second. Like, why why do you like that community so much compared to the other one? Compare, um, I aligned with the people. It wasn't, you know, with with Elite Legacy, there were a couple of conferences that I went to. There was one in Vegas, and the people were friendly. I just didn't feel um, so connected to the community. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a there wasn't local, like a local Phoenix group to get right. together with. And again, it's relationships and community. Yeah, I could have been on the phone to more people all of the, you know, more of the time doing more things, but I was busy with my day job trying to do these other things and thought it was easier than it actually is. Um, and just from, from watching the free content from Pace before he started the community, it was just intrigued me so much. And I obviously didn't understand everything about it, but I understood the basics to know that this was really exciting and something that I really wanted to be knowing more about and being an authority on because January of 2020, um, I decided that shit, this market's been going up for a long, long time. I better be ready for short sales or foreclosures. So I started to research a little bit on foreclosures and that was the last course that I did with, elite legacy of virtual training for that and i don't think i actually finished it because i found paces thing and it was like i'm learning more about this than, than i would have done so it was just an alignment with the content and the delivery and the teacher gotcha so go in i want to bring it back to where you were talking about how you decided to just stick to direct a seller instead of doing the um jv model in the sense of i think you actually might have said this you were saying that the direct to seller you like more because it's more scalable um yeah i mean yeah you can hire more vas pull more data you can you know increase your acquisition sorry were there other reasons um i really haven't got to the point of scaling and that's one of my you know level bosses that i need to get to is um either finding the other partners that i need and to be part of my conveyor belt or be in a business and form a new conveyor belt together um but again it's also finding my niche my zone of genius because i just either i've got found my zone of genius but i'm spread too thin to be able to excel in that zone of genius be fulfilled by forming that or doing that Mm -hmm. or there's something outside beyond what I'm doing now that I'm moving towards that I'll find in due course. But, you know, 
it, it is difficult for me to sort of delegate and slow down to teach somebody else, you know, the cash flow quadrant. I'm kind of stuck in that, that, um, what do you call it? The uh, self-employed sort of mindset in some aspects of the business that if I stop the business, the business stops and I've got to catch right. up again. So, um, you know, I'm filling in for somebody else that's out of the country in sub two right now. He's got a PPC campaign going on. So I'm taking the leads for him. Um, and, you know, we're helping each other out and, and we get on really well. And we're just kind of talking more and more to see if there's alignment in what we're doing. I'm doing another campaign with um, five other people around the country, which is specifically one direct-to-seller campaign. Um, but that's got its own challenges, which we're heading up face face on before we get to them, mm. on who's going to be doing what, who's going to be doing what when, and what are their individual contributions going to be towards that end goal, you know? Okay. So... So what are your goals right now? Like what, it, like what are you, what are you trying to achieve scaling wise? Like what needs to be hired? What do you think needs to be done? I've got, I've got the pencil in my hand right now and I'm just looking at that right now. I'm pivoting right now. Cause I was going to do, I was going to try and do 20 flips this year. Mm -hmm. I've done 12 in the last 12 months. Okay. But with a downturn in the market, it may not be that I was, I wanted to do eight JVs and 12 on my own. It's kind of flipped the other way around that I've done 12 JVs. I've done one on my own, or 11 JVs, one one on my own. Um, but again, it's just adapting with the market. I'm now seeing I would rather be buying deals from somebody that's a reliable wholesaler that's not going to be um, exploiting the, the relationship as far as I want everyone to make as much money as they can. But when somebody's making more money than you're making, taking the risk of spending four to six months renovating a property, borrowing money against it and all that stuff, there's a balance and, and there's no true ethical value there, but there's a value proposition of, you know, bringing value and, and, and making sure there's plenty of meat on the bone for everybody and being fair, whatever fair means in somebody's mind. You know what I mean? It has to, I mean, it has to make sense with your numbers, right? That's Absolutely. Yeah. If it makes sense with my numbers and I've got plenty there, I'm not going to hold somebody be pissed off if somebody's making more money from me right. but if, it, if it's leaving me substantially less than it's not a deal for me i just don't take right. it right i got you that might be a scarcest mindset i don't know but it's just you know it's balancing things and knowing that people have got your best interest at in mind as well giving more value than you're receiving financial terms not to say that they're going to shortchange themselves or shut down their business because they're making sure i get paid instead of them it's just that balance and, and trust between people. Gotcha. You know? And so in terms of scaling, like what's, what your, your goal is scaling right now? I got that your goal was uh, 20 flips and you still got a quarter left, which is plenty. I feel like yeah. um, what, what other, like, who are you trying to hire for instance? Cause we, you um, on the stream. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, acquisitions, people, people that are familiar with creative finance, um, I did put an ad out in sub two a little while ago. We got, um, we got some newbies um, and, you know, to be transparent and authentic, one of the other sort of things I'm working through is a, a self-limiting belief is that I'm not worth it. I don't deserve other people to work for me or some, something along those lines. It's not necessarily exactly that, but taking on those, those, you know, you got to work on yourself before you work on others. So it's not that I have to work through that entirely to bring somebody else on. But I would love somebody that's good at talking to sellers, will take direction, will, will take, you know, will understand creative finance very well and wholesaling. I'm not doing the wholesale stuff, you know, lowball cash offers. That's never really been something that excites me. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe that's one of the reasons that I think that I don't relate to being a wholesaler in that sense. Do you know what I mean? But that's limiting my, that's a self-limiting belief as well that I can do it. I choose not to do it. I but feel I'm like also, if, I, if I had to give you advice, what I would do is go for every lead because some leads are always just going to be cash, not creative, right? Yep. On those but I'm leads, only getting creative leads because I'm taking the dead leads and the leads that other people need help with, if that makes sense. Oh, wait, or is that, but aren't you doing direct to seller too? No. Oh, you're right just doing JV right now. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Sorry. That's, that's why I'm kind of scaling out of that. There's a little bit of direct to seller that we're doing. Um, 
that we're about to start um, with with the other guys, but you know that's that's so not. Minute, really... Do you want to be in direct to seller then? Is that like not particularly? Oh, okay, so you like the JV? Maybe I just completely misheard. I don't really like the JV in the sense that it's just too eclectic in what I'm getting. I'm not getting consistent. Okay, this is. I don't want layups. I just want deals that need work. They need a reasonable amount of my input to be able to close the deals. And I'm very good with the paperwork, doing a Zoom with the seller and taking them through. I'm not a TC, but when you've explained the nuances of what you're selling them on the idea of creative finance, I'm good at going through the contract. Oh, you remember we talked about that, Jonah? This is that paragraph I was talking about. This is the context of, of you know, I said we were going to look at this in the sub two addendum that we're not going to pay off the whole mortgage. Right. You understand? You're, this is just where, and we're really repetitive, Jonah. We say it two or three times just to make sure it's really clear for your understanding. So when you right. sign the contract, you know, so I'm, I'm very, very connecting and connectable. And one of the things is, is referrals. You know, it's referrals from other people that bring me leads. Um, but it's again, another self-limiting belief may be that I don't deserve to have all of those leads given to me that are ready teed up, ready to be finished off and, and kind of closed. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, those, are, yeah, those yeah. beliefs are what gonna are literally everything. Like my yeah, my limiting belief, I talk a lot about was I had a limiting belief of always like saving money, and that came from my parents of like save for a rainy day type of stuff. Yeah, I read the mindset of what is it, the millionaire mindset. T. Harvey. It, it talked a lot about that one, and I'm like, okay, this is holding me back. Yeah, right. And I still get those two, and I feel like that's kind of like the point of this podcast is to like let a let people know that everyone deals with these limiting mindset beliefs and b um how to get over them so yeah. it's 100% a limiting mindset and you for sure can definitely hire these people and make it work right it's a whole it's just a whole different uh it's a whole different set of problems once you have every like people hired it's 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 but you definitely deserve it and i feel like you'd be you'd like it a lot yeah like having I, like what is your goal do you want to have like a team of 20 like how big do you want to get i i don't necessarily want a big team i'm i'm really scaling towards multifamily right now and I've, i'm buying some residential multifamily the smaller end of things in florida i've got a seller that's got 40 or 50 units that he wants to move over oh, yeah. the next few years with seller finance and the second one we're hoping to do three or four more before christmas so hopefully we've got maybe 20 doors in Florida by Christmas. I've got another door in Texas, another one in uh, Missouri right now. I'm doing a wrap in Albany, New York. And, um, but I'm looking for 50 to hundred plus units and to partner with people like, you nice. know, Vina Pace, you know, another bunch of people that I know as well to bring Vic deal, bring value and start a fund. Because one of the other things that I'm working on right now is starting a charity. Um, to provide free therapy and counseling services and mental health for teens. Um, my kids lost a friend to suicide earlier this year. His nickname was 40. So we started 40 for teens. We're going to be starting that entity very soon. And the, the cause behind that, the why, that that's the why. And I'm going to be starting a, a real estate fund so that the accredited investors can donate 20 to 30% of their return to the charity that sustains that. It's a tax write-off, so it's a wash for them, and that they they can invest in a building with a cause that helps teenage mental health. Later on, I want to start an entity that forms funds for nonprofits, so that you you've got your love of cats. You're the cat guy in Denver now, and now you can start. You know, you can go and buy two hundred doors in Denver and support the local cattery. You know what I mean? I love it. Or or foster kids. You know, that graduate out of foster care at eighteen. Three to six months later, the government dumps them and they're on their own. I met a lady in 2017 that I photographed after a graduation. She was looking for a motel so she could have the foster kids graduate, move into a wing of the hotel in which they worked and got paid, and the hotel was sustaining the, the, the service that she was providing these guys to get acclimatized to life outside foster care, find their feet in society, and then you know, graduate their way out to, to, to the world, you know? I love it. That's awesome. I mean, you must be the busiest man on earth. You're starting a charity, a multifamily fund, and you've got your JV leads on single family and you're doing flips. And that's why I want a team to handle those things that I can, you know, 
take take them over the, the line, structure them, and teach other people to structure them, and and get get those auto, that little system automated, and somebody can run that. It can grow to twenty people. I just don't want to be a manager of twenty people. I love it. That's freaking awesome. That's cool. So okay, yeah, man. I love I love that I love that that you're clear about the why too. Like you know where you're going, and you're very clear about the why. I think that's something that a lot of people miss in business is that they're not very clear about why the hell they're doing all of this. Like, that's the clearest thing I've been, well, that's the thing I've been clearest on in the business is that the charity and the fund. For Since I went to Thrive, I'd, I'd had the idea of the charity before then. Then I went to Thrive in November, and that really put me in touch with a couple of people that are in Minnesota who, who are going to work on this with me. I've met with doctors and therapists down here about this. So I'm doing active research because you've got, you've got the, the patient or the, the consumer of those services. Then you've got the, everything around the private healthcare system where you've got providers that may, may or may not take insurance. This child can't afford it. Their parents don't have the insurance or the cash to do it. There's a lack of providers there's some providers that will do it virtually from Colorado or New York or wherever. They're licensed in Arizona. We need to plug into those people and get those connected, you know? I love it. Awesome, man. But we're starting to get around to the end of the podcast. So I'm going to leave you with um, the last question that I always ask at the very end is going back to Tristan when he was just starting real estate, what would you say to him now with all the knowledge and all the experience you have today? Um, just uh, take more action. Be fearless. Make more more mistakes. It doesn't matter what you look like. Just just get out there and take more action more quickly. You know, you pick up the knowledge along the way. With that long eight month deal, I could have been learning other things about other deals, and it wasn't like one itis. I just didn't have a great deal flow. I was handling some other stuff, but really, that was really the one deal I was working on until. Jeremy Hennon brought me a deal that I closed for him, which was a sub two, which we sold to Pace uh, in September of that year. And there just wasn't a lot going on. I had a cold caller going on the, you know, and I didn't spend enough time with the the VA to train them to be more skilled, but I wasn't skilled either. And again, self-limiting belief, I can't train somebody to something I don't know, you know? And, you know, it's almost that, that kind of traitor thing where, how can I try and train somebody on something I don't know where I'm finding my way through, but that's how successes are made. I now know that success is a, success is a, well man, a series of well-managed failures. I love it. That's a good quote. Would you say, say that one more time. Success is a series of well-managed failures. I love that. That's going to be, that might be, I think that might be the title of this episode for sure. Um, so cool, man. What are you plugging? I already see you got your IG, Tristan Trenberg. People can follow you there. Yeah. What are you plugging? What do you want from the audience? What, what so, can we help you? So I'd love you to watch my podcast called Birth to Net Worth. How do we find it? It's on it's on uh, YouTube under my channel, Tristan Trenberg, and it's on uh, iPod, uh, what is it, Pod, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called. So just look up your name as it's spelled yeah, right Yeah, just there. look up my name. If you spell it right, you'll find it. Don't look up Tristan Bull. You'll find something very different. Um, right. And then if you want to take a look at the, the – I've got a national network of meetup groups. We started Dallas-Fort Worth. We have Houston. We have Tampa. Uh, North Northeast, which is New York, New Jersey. Um, Atlanta, Phoenix, NorCal, SoCal. We're going to start, you're going to start one with me in with Rachel in Denver, Colorado. I'll come out and they generally go by airport codes. So we've got PHXJV for Phoenix, TPAJV for Tampa. We've got TUCJV for Tucson. Tucson is, is going well. Joseph is an amazing guy down there, him and his wife, Crystal, two amazing human beings. Uh, Crystal, so what's, the, what's the idea? Because I'm not used to meetups being nationwide or trying to do them nationwide. Oh. What's the purpose of that? So, so the the overall brand is Creative JV. It's not that it's creative finance, but it's enabling us to be more creative doing deals with people that we can collaborate with instead of compete with. It's collaboration over competition. It's bringing people together like yourself, Mastro, somebody from TTP, me from Sub Two, somebody from the Crucible, from Titanium, from Cassie and RJ, somebody from Disruptors. 
different people and even if they got no educational backgrounds you know sean terry whatever it is people from all backgrounds that can do deals together leveraging somebody else's knowledge that they don't have but they need to get a deal across the finish line whether that's i'm not your buyer go and see jonah or whether it's oh i know this guy that's going to help us get this done i got you my partner's going to come in we're going to sit down talk about it jonah's going to give you a call we can get you through the short sale, the loan mod, whatever that thing is. It's about bringing people together. So the premise is we we in, Ari we in Arizona, in Phoenix, we do one meetup a month, third Saturday of the month, generally when it happens. We have, a, uh, we have either a speaker or a panel come in, and they talk about a given subject to their, you know, their subject matter. So um, the, the one we had in August, it was a panel of four flippers very prominent flippers. We had a guy called Zach Keeps. Hopefully you've heard of Zach. Amazing human being. Um, he started 20 years ago, so he was the most experienced on the panel. So he's been through a cycle already, and he's obviously in his next one. He's got a portfolio of about, I don't know, 200 houses, 100, 200 houses. Um, Marie Baginski, she's one of the Flip Me coaches for, for uh, Jamil and Peter's Flip course. We had Manny Cabria. Manny's a super dude. He was the guy that did his very first flip next to my old house where I did my live-in flip. I just finished that a few months before. Manny came and bought the house next door, and that was his very first project. And we stayed in touch since then, and he sat on this panel. And we had the awesome Rafael Cortez. Uh, he's got CEO Pulse, which is his brand. He's a an organizational psychologist and was one of the coaches for Wholesaling Inc. with Tom Kroll. Brent Daniels, really? Todd Kovac, and those guys. So we had a really great panel talking about how they're changing their flipping strategies in the change of market. So we had an hour and a half talking about that, Q&A, networking with each other. Now, in between these meetups, we do two or three flip walks. Uh, last week, we walked a luxury Airbnb with Flip. Um, the next week, we went and saw the end of my flip in Scottsdale, where we had seen the demo stage three months ago. Uh, Tuesday, we're going to go and see one of Manny's flips. So we're always going out, meeting people. Why would we go to flips and Airbnbs? Buyers. We need to develop relationships with buyers so we find a house that meets their buy box. Jonah, I know we walked that house three months ago. I've got another one down the street. This is what it looks like. This is what they're looking for for it. Is that a number that can make you work or what number would work for you? Reverse injury. What would work for you? What would you pay for that? It needs a full gut rehab. What are you paying for that? Then you can get your number to go and buy it. And if you're 50 grand below or 10 grand below, you know where you are in the price. And you can even send them pictures and all that stuff. Now you've got that personal relationship with your buyer. You're not shotgunning deals out that you just found a house in or some random place that nobody's flipping in and nobody's buying there. You're going after products. You're developing those relationships, which are so important. So the idea is to kind of create a nationwide network too. So like, for instance, if we have yeah. Denver and I need something in Phoenix. Absolutely. So we're going to start doing national Zoom calls very soon where, you know, one of the first guests will be um, Steve and, and uh, Steve and Mike from San Diego. Nice. They're flipping in San Diego, but they're also virtually wholesaling and flipping in Indiana. So we need to show people that are virtually wholesaling in Indiana that they've got two great buyers that are going to flip help them get deals across the line, collaborate with them, even across the country, and then maybe encourage other people to start virtually wholesaling, not necessarily to Indiana, but it can be done because everyone's, oh, well, should I start my own backyard? Should I go virtual? I said, if you know your backyard well enough, start in your backyard. But if there's somewhere that you really want to buy property, start in that one and get to know it, but develop relationships in the market. This is going to allow faces to come up on the screen. Oh, we got Honolulu as well, Hawaii, Tristan and Kamahai. So that's another place, another couple that we're going to have come on and talk about their business. Wow. So we want to highlight the leaders so they become the authorities in their market. They become the next generation of the Paces and Jamils. Right. They become, whether it's a local thing or a national thing, you know, however they develop their brand, we just want them to become better known. So how does, how does somebody become a part of that? Like what, what would they do right now if they're watching this? So oh, just go to Facebook and join the Facebook group called Creative JV, or one word, Creative JV, or one word. Join the group, and there are links that in right. there. That's right, yeah. So you just go in there, and they'll in the 
in the um, featured posts, I'll make sure there's an updated list of sites. We run them through the Meetup app so that we can put the events in there. They communicate when there's a new event to the people that subscribed. But the Creative JV group is a national group. We've got over about almost 2,000 people in there. So you can throw in deals that you got to sell. You can go and find people. I need an integrator. I need boots on the ground. I need this, that, and the other. It's a great place to connect with people. There's obviously an Instagram as well, but you'll find that in there just to keep it simple, Creative JV. And, and I'll get the list of the groups, but in there I might even just give it to you for this. And then so anything else? So meetups, um, your podcast, what else do you want to plug? Anything else? Um, How about if somebody wants to do a deal with you? Should they reach out to you on IG? And uh, you can go through IG, um, but I think it would be better just to go to jvwitht.com, which is my inbound website for JVing. You go and put the seller's information and yeah. your information in. That's right, yeah. So you put your information in. There's an agreement at the end. It just outlines the JV uh, arrangement, and you agree to that, and then it comes into my system. I love it. Awesome, man. Well, is there any, any last words you want to leave to the audience or anything in the last words you want to say? Sure, that'd be great. Um, I'm buying in Arizona for flips, cash deals. I want to, whatever the ARV is in the last two months, I want to take 10% off that to make a new new ARV in case there's a market shift, interest rate. I want to make 10 to 15% profit margin in the up to $500,000 exit buy box, uh, pretty much anywhere in, in the Phoenix metro area. And I'm looking for multifamily in uh, North Carolina, Florida, Arizona, and uh, Georgia between either f um, sort of five and 50 units or, you know, uh, 50 plus just two different ways that I'm going to go and buy deals, a fund or a, you know, private equity partnerships. I love it. Awesome guys. Well, that's it for this Scorch the Fears episode. Tristan, obviously, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Um, I think we're on like episode 39. I can't believe, I think we almost are at 40. So I'm like, Fantastic. Um, guys, I am so happy you guys are watching this. I'm so glad the people who are still watching this, you guys are killers. I love it. Next week, we're going to have on John Galan. He's a great Astro student. He got his beard shaved at a, um, uh, clever, clever summit. So he's a cool dude doing a lot of great stuff. Um, I will see y'all next week. 5 p.m. PST. Let's freaking go.